What is the thing that we can all do to really support the growth and development of this child and raise their own belief in what's possible? The educational landscape has shifted. The social mobility is very segregated. Therefore, politically, the same thing is happening. The decisions you make around that child's education are of paramount importance. What can we do that would make educators' lives better? How do we make change that you can see in the classroom? They don't have summers off. They're not on a break. Most of the time that kids are not in school, teachers are still working. To impact our urban public schools, to impact the life of a child. We really wanted to elevate the profile of our city as well as elevate the opportunities that exist in education here. I'm Jen Maestas, and you're listening to Miss Education. Hi guys, thanks for being here. This is Jen Maestas. You're listening to Miss Education, and today you're also listening to <laughs> from I Teach Therefore and Susanna and Micah. And the, Kristen and Susanna are hosting a new podcast called I Teach Therefore, um, and so we're super excited to be sitting down with Micah, who is a current teacher, um, and that's kind of the basis of their platform is to talk to current teachers. Um, and Micah just made a big career move. Um, she's got a lot of things on her mind right now. And so we're excited to sit here and, and talk it all out with her. Um, Micah, do you want to do a real quick introduction? Tell us a little bit about your background and how you got started in teaching. Yes, thank you guys for having me. Um, so I'm Micah Lopez. I'm a special education teacher. I spent the last four years teaching with Southside ISD, and I just made the big switch to a new public charter school called The Gathering Place um, here in San Antonio. So I am ecstatic to be working there. I'm sure some of you have heard about it. Um, it is a new school that is going to be project-based. Um, it is very focused on art, music, um, and um, of course, social and emotional growth of our students. Awesome. Thank you for being here, Micah. And Kristen, do you want to tell us a little bit about I Teach Therefore? Yeah, so I Teach Therefore is a new podcast that Susanna and I are starting. Its entire premise is just lifting up teacher voices and telling the stories of what it means to be a teacher today, which includes all of the ins and outs and uh, the many hats that teachers wear that a lot of people don't um, realize or necessarily appreciate. I love the connections that we all have. Micah and I first met each other at church, and it's been a while now, right, Micah? And then you were, I, I want to say you were also in my sister-in-law's like small group tribe for, is that right? Am I remembering that right? Yes. Yeah. I was actually, I think I was pregnant at the time. So oh, I, I think, think so for probably like eight years. Yeah. Yeah. So we've known each other for a while, but we really didn't connect until more, much more recently. We knew each other. Um, right. we didn't, we didn't connect until we started salt. I think we right. you know what's funny is I feel like this happens everywhere I go. When I meet a teacher in a non-education setting, it's that moment of like, I'm a teacher, you're a teacher too. <laughs> oh my gosh, we're teachers. It's like, it's just such a weird thing. It feels like this secret club. I agree. Club. <laughs> totally agree. Um, and then, well, so Micah was one of the first um, round of people who joined SALT way back when. Um, and so she started coming to our events and just uh, 
staying really closely connected. And then that's actually how she met Susanna. So I think you should tell that story because I love Yes. Okay. I have to tell this story because it cracks me up every time. Um, and as far as secret club, the not so secret club is San Antonio leaders and teachers. Um, Mm -hmm. Truly, like, once I found y'all, I really felt like I found my place as an educator in San Antonio. Yeah. Uh, and every new event that you put out, I was like, okay, yes, I want to join. I want to do this. I just want to meet y'all and be with y'all and be on y'all's team, so to speak. Yeah, thank you. So when you sent out the, um, like, invitation for EduPitch, which I call Shark Tank every time I tell this story, but it is like Shark Tank for teachers, like entrepreneurial educators. Um, Jen was going to be a host. So she included all the salties and said, come out, check this out. It's going to be amazing. So um, I get there, I go by myself and was nervous (laughs) because I only really had ever talked to you and like Jenny Rosas and was just like (laughs) I just I just felt really nervous about being kind of the newbie at salt um and so I go in and I'm like signing in getting my ticket and whoever was at the door stopped me and said oh were you a core member and I panicked and (laughs) looked at her for a little bit and said, um, I don't know. Am I a core member? And she probably was not a withering look, but in my head, she gave me the most withering look of all time. And I said, nothing. And then she proceeded to say, you would know if you were a core member. So I panicked profusely, um, realized that the whole event was hosted by TFA and, you know, put the pieces together that it was, if you were a core member, you had worked or been with TFA. Kristen, this is your area. Um, (laughs) but I sat down with some of the other salties and I kind of like scooched in next to Micah and my attempt always at trying to make friends is to just like humiliate myself and hope that someone finds that funny or at least like vulnerable enough to want to be friends with me. So I told Micah that like horrible story of not knowing if I was a core member and just being really embarrassed. And she, (laughs) I feel like maybe this wasn't word for word, but I feel like Micah, you said, Oh, the exact same thing happened to me and you had no idea either. So it was a pretty great bonding moment in my opinion. Yeah. And then I remember throughout the night, we were like, okay, what does that mean? What does that mean? (laughs) Because TFA, y'all have your own jargon, Kristen. Y'all have things that I don't understand. And you know what? I just can't. (laughs) Secret club within the secret club. Oh my gosh. Really brothers out. It's just, yeah. I think that happens in, in every pocket of education. Um, there's an acronym for everything. Yep. (laughs) Yes, certainly. And I mean, I definitely run into that a lot when I'm speaking with non-educators, especially parents, which is part of why I wanted to do, I teach therefore I wanted to like peel back that layer and say, this is the reality of what it looks like. It's actually not secret jargon only known to educators. It's stuff that people do in every job. 
for sure, for sure. Um, Kristen, I forgot you were a core member. Yes, I know. I feel like it's a dirty word. Well, you know? no <laughs> way. Circles. <laughs> so no I, way. I mean, yeah, you know, I mean, it's, yeah, I'm sure that's an entire episode in itself one day. Yes, <laughs> I, I love Teach for America. And I will say, like, I had some misconceptions at the outset. Um, and then I got to know the organization a little bit better. And they invited me to host um, that night at EduPitch. And EduPitch, I mean, they're, they're um, and a core member, by the way, is just an alumnus. Like they have, they met, they, they um, anybody who's a core member. Knows they're a core came, member. <laughs> a, knows they're a core member. And we came to teaching through Teach for America. Um, and so they invited their core members to pitch um, nonprofit or small business ideas that were directly related to like problems of practice that they had uncovered through their years of teaching. And I was super impressed. Like that actually was one of the events last year that I was like, man, I'm so glad we did. It was really inspiring because each one of the people that presented discovered a gap in their own teaching life and then they like put it everything they had on the line to fill that gap and so they had created nonprofits to like get more people of color outside they created nonprofits to or enterprises to like link students to mentors um, and I was super excited because one of our SALT members actually won the, the, uh, the whole night. So it was, at, it was such fun. And I'm so glad that you met Micah that night. Yeah. yeah. And I will say like TFA, I feel like that is part of the culture of saying um, they encourage some of that innovation all the time so that it becomes natural yeah, sure. where it doesn't necessarily come naturally to other educators. But Micah, you are the exception. Like you are so good about speaking up for yourself and speaking up for others. And I feel like that's really what's drawn me to you um, as a friend and a teacher friend, just recognizing that that is your gift. Um, so will you please tell us a little bit more about the different hats that you wear and kind of where your passion truly lies as an educator? Sure. And thank you so much for saying that, Susanna. I, I wish that we were not in this COVID situation because we did kind of just meet and then it's summer and that's when you want to hang out with all of your teacher friends and really get to know them and connect with them. And I know that SALT had a lot of things planned that we were really looking forward to and it's just all been put on pause. And um, in that time though, I have rediscovered my voice. As a teacher, you get so tired where you're just like, pushing all these things aside and you kind of lose yourself in the grading and the day-to-day um, -day hustle of, of being a teacher, um, especially a special education teacher. It, it's rough. You're constantly trying to better yourself um, because you're trying to meet these goals that are slammed in your face every single day for those kids. Um, but I, I want to say that I started um, advocating for others at a very young age. I grew up in a family of six and I was the oldest. <laughs> so I was kind of like the, the, you know, the person laying down the law in the house and, you know, and, and I always wanted to do the right thing and I wanted my siblings to do the right thing and I still want them to do the right thing today. Um, so 
I actually lived in DC for three years and that's where I really discovered my voice. I found my passion for just um, raising awareness for equal education, for women's rights, for food rights. And um, I did that for three years. And once I came back to Texas, I just kind of fell into this education role um, that I absolutely love. My heart is in it. Um, my, my, um, my passion has absolutely become just making that connection between the community and the classroom um, and bringing in my parents into my classroom. Um, and I'm here today just to remind teachers that we all have a voice and that this is the perfect time to be using our voices because all eyes are on us. Yes. So many movements going on right now that are just so beautiful. And why not use this time wisely to say no, you know, to things and to say yes to things and to be heard. Uh, amen. I mean, I, I, a lot of, um, the time I've spent thinking about what teachers, what is said about teachers and what teachers say about ourselves. I think sometimes it, it sort of in my mind boils down to like, I'm just a teacher or I'm, I'm a teacher, you know, and I, I feel like actually there's just so the teaching profession in general is such a powerhouse but we don't talk about it like it's a powerhouse. I mean, we're shaping this next generation. Um, so I love what you said about like, now's our moment. All eyes are on us. Like we have to actually speak up and not wait to be asked. Cause that's the other rhetoric I hear a lot right now is no one's asking me. And I'm like, why are you waiting to be asked? Just do it, say it, stand up, go, go where you need to be in order to be heard. Right. And I really didn't discover that until these last two years. Um, the last two years I've been special education. Um, and I kind of just fell into the role of being the campus voice. Teachers just kind of started showing up in my classroom and saying, okay, and we want you to say this and we want you to say that. Um, and I kind of took on that lead with a few of my colleagues and I was respectful about things, but you know what? We got stuff done using our voice and I've never have really understood that when people People say, well, just speak up for yourself. That's so scary on a campus. Um, and now I just feel like I'm on this role of, hey, no, that's not right. Hey, this is right. Hey, let's come together. Hey, let me lift you up. Let me celebrate you. Um, we are our biggest cheerleaders. I feel like we are our only cheerleaders. I feel like a lot of the time our principals are against us. Our parents are against us. Um, our colleague across the hall sometimes is against us. So SALT and you guys are doing an amazing job of kind of just bringing us together and celebrating each other and being here for each other. Um, it's amazing, Jen, just being, you know, going to those events and saying, oh my gosh, you're just like me. Like, <laughs> you know what? I was just going to say that a second ago when you said like, sometimes the principals are against us. And I think like, I felt like when I was the principal that that's what people thought, right? Like I felt clearly like there's this divide of us against them. And in my heart, I knew that I didn't personally feel like that I didn't I wasn't trying to set myself against anybody but sometimes you have decisions all the time not sometimes every decision you make is not going to make everybody happy so someone's always going to be bothered by something and and the level of like how much you're bothered varies by the impact that that decision has on you. So sometimes you're like mildly annoyed by something that's been trickled down through leadership. And sometimes you're like hella pissed by whatever just came down from, from leadership. 
But either way, there's a clear demarcation between uh, classroom teachers and school administrators that I always felt really uncomfortable with. Um, and I feel like some of that can be alleviated if we're together and people start recognizing, hey, you're just like me. Like exactly what you just said. Like you're a person like I'm a person and you're, you're agonizing over this decision and you probably lost sleep over it and it's bothering you too. And sometimes my hands were tied. Like this is the way that it's going to be, even if I don't think it's right. Even if I, you know, my job is to uh, further the cause of the school district, not necessarily to make everybody in the building happy. Um, mm -hmm. And so it was always like I, I felt. I felt like if you knew what who I really was, then that divide might be much. Um, smaller, right? Like it, uh, and and it's so much. So much of the reason why I felt like we should start salt was to, and it's also why we said it's leaders and teachers. Um, mm -hmm. I do think teaching and leading are synonymous, yeah. um, but I still think there's like a mental thing in your head that if you're a teacher, you're not a principal. If you're a principal, you're not a teacher. If you're a school board member, or if you're, um, you know, the superintendent, then you're not a teacher. Even though I don't buy into that mentality 100%. I respect it enough to say like, actually, the organization we're creating is for everybody, not just one or the other. Because I do think it matters a lot that we get to know each other, like, know each other, not just I know who you are. Yeah. yeah. And I'm excited about working for The Gathering Place because Ryan and Joanna, who have actually been on your show, are so um, down to earth and just friendly and kind. And as a single mother, they've been here for me. They have helped me with different things. Um, they, they are awesome people. Um, I cannot wait until, you know, we get this year over with COVID or not, um, just to be able to reflect that the differences between, you know, the public school or a district belonging to a district and then a charter school. I know a lot of people get nervous when they start talking about charter schools. <laughs> <laughs> no one's pointing any fingers. I feel like you are. <laughs> no, no. Even when I told people like, hey, I'm going to be leaving Southside um, and I'm going to a charter school, they were like, why would you do that? Why would you go into the charter world? And I don't really have an answer for that other than the mission of the gathering place. You know, their focus is arts in the classroom. Um, the kids have an hour of recess every single day. That's on top of PE. The double recess, I was looking all over the gathering place and it feels probably so minor, but it is the 30 minutes in the morning, 30 minutes again in the afternoon and fitness every day. I was just thinking, what happy, balanced kids. Being in nature helps everyone. Uh, yeah, please walk us through the gathering place because it just sounds so lovely. <laughs> it is. It's going to be great. So Ryan and Joanna have spent a lot of time um, researching and in the field, um, discovering what kids, what students, and um, what pa parents and what teachers want from a school. So they've designed this school based upon that data, and it's going to be a game changer. Um, every time I talk about it, I get so emotional because I'm just like, I'm in the twilight zone. Like I'm be like teachers are being heard. Students are being heard. Parents, you know, are being heard. Um, it is definitely going to be a game changer. Yeah. And I would say they have not let their foot off the gas on academics in any way. Like they understand. Um, 
and yet, or I shouldn't say maybe academics, but on learning because they, you know, they recognize that learning comes in different forms and, and in different phases for every student. And so, you know, the main mission is to make sure that students are learning and that the learning they, they acquire is generalized, right? Like so that they can take that and go beyond what they're supposed to be able to do in first grade or second grade or third grade as measured by any like state standardized tests, but that they're actually becoming inquisitive and curious and are able to problem solve forever. Yeah. And um, what I really appreciated too, is it seems like a, just a really interesting iteration of project-based learning. Um, My background is with IB, the International Baccalaureate Program. And it seems like Um, y'all are creating these trimesters that culminate in this large project that has contextualized learning embedded throughout it. So I'd love to hear as you prepare for this, and I realize, you know, with uh, COVID, it might look different than just your normal school year, but as a special education teacher, can you walk us through what your perspective is on how that will evolve throughout the year for your specific kids? Sure. Well, first of all, um, most special education students struggle with the interacting, you know, with their peers. So the Gathering Place mission and my mission as well is to be 100% inclusion. Um, Instead of going in and putting all the shining light on one student um, to try to teach them, how can I teach the rest of the class to be a friend to this student and to accept this student and to know that meltdowns and the emotions and the frustration or the outcries, whatever it is, the eloping, is is normal. It's normal for a five-year-old, a six-year-old. Um, and so building that acceptance of, of the classroom as well as our campus and society to say, hey, we don't all function the same way, but we are all worthy of a great education, of experience, of project-based learning, of a double recess. We are all worthy of those things. And how we're starting on, you know, on, with 300, I think 350 kids, but how do we make all of San Antonio see that? And how do we fire up our teachers to say, hey, all of our kids are worthy. Stop sending these kids to the office because they're not learning the way that so-and-so learn. Stop, you know, writing them up because they don't sit down. You know, how can you change yourself as an educator, as the adult in the classroom? How can you change yourself to really help that child? Um, With COVID going on, I have no clue um, what this year is going to be like, but I really hope that I'm able to help my students and also help my parents to to know or to help them see that um, I have a heart for them and that I'm here for them. You know, I've, I've kind of become parental support um, is what I'm calling it. I, I, I'll have um, Zoom nights with my previous families and just hear my parents out and let them know that I'm here for them. Because I think so many times that bad kid, you know, or the special educated kid gets penned as this, as um. I don't know, a poor learner, you know, or or someone bad, you know, a bad kid. And and parents hear that in ARDS and they hear it through other students. I'm sure you guys know when it's when someone walks, a parent walks into the classroom, all the other kids rush to the door and say, and he was doing this. So really just trying to be here for my parents this year, really trying to be here for other teachers um, and my students, however I can. 
that was a role that teachers took on um, more than anything, I feel like, with school closure this past spring. I mean, um, I invited it, but I had parents calling me on weekends, like nine o'clock in the evenings. And um, I had office hours, but I told my parents and meant it that I was open to chat whenever. And I thought it was just so interesting that sometimes parents would call me knowing that I didn't have any new information they didn't have anything new to share. They just needed to talk to another adult about what was happening. Um, I could not have seen that becoming part of my role, but it it's so humanizing. I mean, of course, it, no one could have expected what was happening. And I feel like because of that, there were not a lot of obvious avenues for how to have those discussions, particularly when it came to mental health. That part is tough. Our role, I wish people knew what it meant to be a teacher, and then I wish people knew what it meant to be a special education teacher. <laughs> Tell them, what does it mean? <laughs> it, I mean, we. every time that I meet someone and I tell them I'm a teacher, like Jen said earlier, I say, oh, I'm just a teacher. You know, oh, it's just kindergarten. Um, and I don't know why I do that. And every time I do it, I'm like, why do I do that? Like, does a doctor just say, oh, I'm just a doctor. You know, we're equally as important. We deal with mental health. We deal with all kinds of things, sickness, you know. Um, to me, being a teacher has been rewarding, yes, but it's also been really rough. It's been rough on my mental health. Um, as a single mom, it's been really challenging with COVID. Um, my daughter's on the same campus I'm on, so that's been tough to, you know, something's happening on campus or something, something's happening in her classroom, and I have to go in there, and she has to see me in this completely different way, and I have to ignore her because I'm at work. I can't, you know, just coddle her and be with her. Um, so being a teacher to me has been really challenging. Um, yes, it's rewarding, like I said, but it's also being um, an advocate for my kids. It's being an advocate for my families. It's being an advocate for my coworkers um, and for all kids, um, in, regardless of what campus you're on. You know, my mission is to really speak to as many people as possible and to say, we have got to slow down what we expect from these kids. We have to remember that we are the adult in the classroom. And I can't tell you how many times I've told other teachers that you are the adult in the classroom. You worry about your own emotion and then let them, you know, do their own thing with their emotions because they can't control it. Yeah. Um, but that's a whole nother story. <laughs> no, I was, was going to ask, what are the things... Um, that you've been advocating for or that you are advocating for right now um, and how does how is TGP you know creating av avenues for that sure um, some of the things that I'm advocating for right now are for my friends um, my teacher friends I really want everyone to feel empowered right now and to say hey all eyes are on us what do you have to say it doesn't matter how it comes across just Freaking say it, say it on social media, say it to your principal, say it to your coworker, create a, you know, create a little circle of friends and start talking about it and don't stop talking about it. Make those phone calls, send those emails. Um, I really feel just empowered right now as an educator, like, Hey, people are actually looking at us. Um, so we have to keep that attention with, you know, 
with our city, with our state, with, with everyone right now. Um, yeah. So like some of those steps, Micah, I know that I've seen you post on social media um, about protesting, about voting, about writing to your um, representatives. Uh, what, what, are, what are other ways that people can use or demonstrate their voice and their agency to advocate for the things they think are important? I think it definitely starts in your classroom. Um, you can start changing things in your own classroom. I know I did that um, with this with, at Southside, and a lot of teachers were like, "What are you doing? What are you bringing into your classroom? Why do you have that?" And I would just show them the data and say, "Look, things are changing in the classroom." And I started in my room just making it very unique and very different. I, I brought in like little bicycles that the kids could ride and, you know, race each other on, um, but they were learning at the same time. So I think you really have to start doing that inside your classroom, inside of your own home, teaching your own children, talking to your spouse or talking to your friends um, about it. And then just keep pushing on, um, like I said, different, different ways, emails, phone calls, um, talking to your principal and, and realizing hopefully your principal would realize that you're human too and that you have wants and that you have needs and that things need to be to be kind of joint together their world and our world I think Brene Brown talks about the arenas of our lives and those arenas really need to come together (laughs) spheres of influence like what, what you already have control over and um you know like something that I keep thinking about lately is that like especially in terms of social justice and anti-racist education like I I think I read in Bettina Love Dr. Bettina Love's book um we want to do more than survive like something like 80 percent of the teaching profession is white women and there's this you know um renewed focus uh on racism and education uh which of course my boyfriend says it's it's just new to you and that's the damn truth uh like the reality is that there are women of color that have been working on this movement for so long and so i love what you're saying about the spheres of influence because i think that um you know something that I personally have felt um, since I've been in the classroom, but hello, that's been the past four years, like this overwhelming need to change everything in the world. And it's just not, it's just that it's not possible and that's not the right way to handle it. And I think that sometimes people's um, urgency to think that big keeps them from looking in the mirror and doing the work that they have immediate and direct control over rant over (laughs) no no I think you're dead on you know I these are I I, you know I Carlos and I have had the very very privileged honor of going and serving in Liberia um, Africa and I remember the first time I went and think and I remember doing you know working all day and then coming back at the end of the day to a hotel that had air conditioning and that had a, a, a restaurant that served American food and it was heavily guarded and behind a big wall. And I just remember at the ends of the days feeling like I don't even, like it's, it's not fair that I get to come here at the end of my day, A, and then B, 
there are so many places that need help. It's not just education. It's, it's, Mm -hmm. there's no, there's no system for getting help. There's so much in lots of places, there was so much corruption that happened that even when there was a place to get help, you had to do something backhanded to get it. You know, you were either in or you were out. Um, And then, and then figuring out like, there's the democracy that they're trying to create. It's not really a democracy. And it's just so many things that you almost felt like way too overwhelmed to even try. Like it was like, what are we even doing? There's no, I don't even know why we're here. And then, and then going back and thinking, um, you know, exactly what you just said, but what about you? What can, what does it mean for me? This isn't just like, missionary tourism where I can go feel good about the good work that I've done here and then go home and live my life. Like it has to change something in me and coming home and seeing like, man, damn, we have like 18 toilet papers we can choose from. Like it's just, it's it's so much. Um, And so it changed, you know, I started thinking about how do I live my life? Like, how can I, how can I downsize what I'm doing in order to like maximize my own impact. It's not about solving the entire world's problems. It's too, there are too many, but I can change the way I'm living. I can change my own lifestyle so that I can be generous in another way, maybe a way I hadn't thought of, of being generous before. And I, I I do think like in, what you're both saying is advocacy doesn't have to be something grandiose. Advocacy can be like, I, these are the things I am in control of. I am in control of my time and my talent and my money. And how can I put those things to good use um, in service of the way I wish things were? I don't know if that made sense. That was a long story. I think if you don't realize that as an educator, you're in the wrong field. I really feel that way. I think if you do not understand what our kids are going through and what they're being faced with, you're in the wrong field. If, if you cannot relate to them um, and and want them to do better, you know, if you don't look at them as your own kids and, you know, you always want your kids to do better than what you did. If you can't look at your class of 22, 26, 30 kids, whatever it is, um, then you're in the wrong field. And I'm okay saying that to people. I'm okay saying, what are you doing? You know, you don't have to teach another year. You know, what, what are you doing? Um, a little backstory, and I've shared this with Susanna. I'm not sure if you other um, know about it, but I was homeless um, my first year of teaching the summer before I had left my daughter's dad. I was in a bad situation. Um, I left hit her. Um, I left her. I mean, I left him. Um, and I had nowhere to go. I was on, on a Craigslist one night looking to see where I could sleep. You know, could, is someone going to lend me a sofa? And then I said, what am I doing? This is awful. I can't take my daughter who had just turned one and sleep on some stranger's sofa. So I started reaching out to my friend, which was the most um, embarrassing thing I have ever done to say, Hey, I'm in my car right now. I don't know where to go tonight. Can you help me? So one of my friends, Rebecca, she took me in for eight months. Um, and I slept on her sofa. And during that time I was on food stamps. Um, I could not do childcare because I didn't have a source of income. So I said, what in the hell am I going to do? Um, I had just finished up my master's. And so I started looking into education and I, and I made it obviously, <laughs> But my parents 
they live like that. They, a lot of my parents on the South side don't know where their next meal is coming from. A lot of them don't have electricity. They don't have running water. So I can easily relate to that situation. And all I want to do is encourage my parents to come out of that situation. And I try my hardest to encourage my students to never have to be in that situation. And I think as educators, if you cannot relate, maybe you don't have to go through all the things that I went through, but if you just can't relate to that, I mean, you're not in the right field. We're, we're raising children. We are not just, you know, teachers. We are raising these kids. So often more time, you know, we spend more time with them than what their parents do. Yeah, completely. And, you know, it's, one thing to be a teacher, but it's also a totally different thing to not only be a teacher and have that mentality, but also to be a special education teacher. So I'd love to hear more about what um, led you to that specific area of education. So I always wanted to do special education. I've always had a heart um, for, for my sped babies. I started working at the YMCA in 2005 in San Angelo, Texas. Um, and I had some kids that had autism and just loved them. I thought they were the easiest kids to just fall in love with. Um, so I've kind of just have fallen into that path. Um, I waited two years. I did just regular kindergarten teaching for two years. And then finally a position in SPED opened up. Actually, I just set up my classroom. We were like a month into school. My principal came into my room and said, hey, you're SPED certified. Would you like to switch? And I said, absolutely. <laughs> so I packed up my room. That year was crazy. Um, I moved rooms about four or five times that year. Um, my title changed from co-teacher to um, SPED inclusion to resource. And then here recently to my own um, unit of kids. So um, the SPED world has been absolutely wonderful. I don't think I will ever come out of it. Um, it's, it is just beautiful to see nonverbal kids say their first words. Um, it's beautiful to walk into an hard um, and see parents light up when you have nothing but good things to say about their kids. Mm -hmm. So I, I absolutely love um, the sped field. What I love about you is that like you can just hear how much you love and care for your students. Every time we talk or just the things that you say about education, your um, love is so vivid and transparent. Um, and yet you, and I, or I would even say, or maybe you would say because of that love, that is, um, why you draw such a firm line about advocating for teachers. Like you can do both. You can advocate, um, for yourself in the career and advocate for your students. Will you tell us a little bit more about what that looks like or just the connection between those two? Sure. So like I said, when I started with Southside, I kind of just fell into this role of teachers were coming to my classroom <laughs> after school and saying, hey, can you just say this in the meeting? And, and they had great ideas and great things that they wanted to stand up for. Um, I think it was just that I kind of bring it to like a real level, like a human level where I'm not trying to be ugly about it. I'm just saying like the other side of whatever it was, you know, that was being, that we were talking about, um, just kind of showing 
what we're humans, like, but we have homes, like we have a family at home waiting on us. Like we can't stay here um, until seven o'clock tonight. Like we have this going on or, or just simply asking why. I've found that that was very easy for me to do. When someone is talking, I would just ask them, okay, can you tell us why? Um, and then a lot of times that opens up the conversations for them, for that person to see, oh, wait, yeah, that doesn't really, that's not going to really work for our campus or it's not going to really work for teachers. Um, I've always just kind of, like I said, have had a voice and have, have been brave enough to just ask questions, um, brave enough to call people out on things. Um, and I always try to do it in a very respectful way. And I think if you know me, then you know that it's in a respectful way and out of a place of love. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm just going to continue to stick up for my students and to stick up for teachers right now. Um, our voice is the only thing we have, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, Micah, I was thinking while you were saying that, that it was reminding me of a book that I read that I love. I too, two books. One is Mindsets by Carol Dweck. And she talks about having a fixed mindset as opposed to having a growth mindset and how, um, you know, a fixed mindset sort of locks you into a way of being because you think I was born this way. This is just the way that I am. And a growth mindset is way more open to this is the way I am right now. But if I do X, Y, or Z, things could be different. And because of her work or based on her work, there was a gentleman named Paul Tuff, who was an educator who wrote his own book called How Children Succeed, who said, like, actually, what what helps children um, is experiencing adversity. And it is adversity is actually what generates um, production of like, some of what we would refer to as soft skills like grit or perseverance or creativity. Um, but it's my absent adversity. Those skills are never tested. So it's not that you don't have them. It's that you don't have to employ them unless you're experiencing some level of adversity. Um, and so sometimes when children who have had no adversity become adults and they meet adversity for the first time, like in college or, you know, I, things are are that much harder to overcome because they haven't actually had to practice how do I get myself out of this situation until that moment and so I just wanted to say that I appreciate you sharing the adversity that you faced in your own life and I think that that adversity is what fuels your ability to become a, an, a herd advocate right and it's probably why people came to you and said Micah, can you take this on for us or can you represent us in this, in this conversation um, is because you, you have had to practice some of those same skill sets that your students have to employ every day. And, and, and it's, it's a refined skill. Like it's something that the more you practice it, the better you get at it as, a, as all things are in life. Right. But if those, if those things don't happen, I do think it's, it's, just that much more difficult to navigate times that are challenging. Thanks yeah. for being so vulnerable. No, thank you for sharing. I do think it's worth mentioning though. And I think Micah, you kind of already said this, um, but we can't assume adversity or lack thereof, like kind of what you were saying, Micah, you, a teacher's position is really, really needing to know and understand their students. And yeah. 
I think a lot of teachers just assume that you'll figure it out naturally, but it takes, it, it takes front loading and, and creating a culture where you can deeply know kids and their experiences and not just with the kids either with their parents too, or family, whoever they're living with. And can I also say like, I, when you were kind of going through, um, the guiding questions we'd had and you were sharing your why and your, who you are in the doc, uh, I think I called, I called Kristen, um, and was like, wow. Um, Michael, you said something that you put in quotes, like what people would never know or never assume about you. Um, and I called Kristen and was like, I, she's right. (laughs) I didn't know that. I had no idea. Um, and it's, it's just not funny. Like Jen said, I mean, I think it's just inherently part of who you are, but I associate you with being the strong one that like has just just has it all together and knows everything and so yeah you're right I didn't know I had no idea you know and I tell you guys how many times I have not had my shit together I mean I have not had there's days where I wake up and I'm like what what did I do and, and why did I stick up for that? Or why did I believe in that? And I get it wrong a lot of times. I'm not here to say that I get it right all the time. There's plenty of times where I've met with my principal and I have said, oh my God, you're right. I am completely yeah. wrong. I get it. Yeah. But yeah. I think just we have to, as educators, connect as human beings and we don't. Yeah. And I mean, your humility resounds. And I love that you you come from a place of strength and you, you know, have used your adversity to help you connect with others, to develop your empathy. And I mean, I'm, I don't know the success of your particular students, but just hearing you give that one anecdote without even a particular name to it about, you know, a nonverbal student saying their first words, like that's happening because you are using the power of appreciating that mistakes are inherent to the learning process. I mean, that is such a core tenet of learning. And yet in all aspects of life, almost whenever errors do occur, they're met with these punitive reactions. And to me, that's just the warmth and the embrace of an exemplary special special education teacher is meeting those kids and seeing those errors as little steps of improvement every time. And so it's just, it's so, it's so empowering to hear you speak about your background and use it to help your kids um, experience the highest success that they can. I have a question. Um, as we go into the fall and you are, you know, a founding member of the gathering place, you're a mom, um, all of these hats that you wear, what is what are you hoping is going to be the thing that, you know, grounds you and brings you comfort and peace and tranquility going into such an uncertain time? Tell me the secret. (laughs) Girl, that is a hard question. I know. Sorry. (laughs) Take a sip. (laughs) Um, You know, the truth is, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I... 
am grounded by things like this um, because I feel empowered and encouraged. Um, I feel like I have a support system as a single mom. You kind of get pushed aside by your friends because everyone's doing their own thing, you know, and, and right now it's been great for me because no one has anything to do except to call me. (laughs) So that's been great. No one is, you know, on vacation and celebrating anniversaries and doing all of that. All they have to do is to Snapchat me and to call me. And so I love that. Um, But going into the new year, I think, I am just so ready for a change in education and I'm so ready to be around beautiful educators that really freaking get what we do. And that is the gathering place. All right. You got to finish the sentence. I teach there for. I advocate. Yes. <laughs> okay. yes. yes. Micah, thank you so much for creating some space for us today. Yes, you're welcome, guys. Yeah, thank you for sharing your story. That was so great. And I'm so happy to know you. And appreciative that you're in the field doing really incredible things. I'm Jen Maestas, and you're listening to Miss Education. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.